0: Gemma, we're back. Oh my God. With Paul Shear, no less on our return episode. And we're doing something spectacular to kick off our return. If you've been on the fence about upgrading to Letterboxd Pro or Patreon, this is your moment. And for one week only, you can upgrade at 20% off the normal price using the code MCFLY. To make it easier, just click the link in the episode notes and it will automatically apply the discount to the upgrade page and you can do it right from there. Otherwise, go to letterboxcom pro, enter the code McFly and get four bucks off pro, 10 bucks off patron. Gemma, what are your fave pro or patron features on Letterboxd?
1: What a discount. Stats, of course. Sweet, sweet stats. Also, um, those this film you put on your watch list is now available on your favorite streaming service, Emails, sexy, sexy backdrops on your letterbox profile, stats, more stats. And, um, oh, what else? Oh, for patrons, features that nobody else gets, like a new one coming very soon where you can choose your poster that you want to see when you look at your favorite film page. What? Yeah, it's true. What else? What do you like, Slim? What do you like about being a patron? No ads.
0: You get no no ads. ads No ads. When you're a patron or a pro member. No ads, Except
1: this one. Except this one. You get this ad. (laughs) Okay, McFly, M-C-F-L-Y. That is the end of this ad. No more ads in this show. And now, (laughs) on with the show. Look. This
2: is hot, Ray. Symmetrical book stacking, just like the Philadelphia Man's turbulence of 1947. You're right, no human being would stack books like this.
1: Hello and welcome back to The Letterboxd Show, our podcast about the movies people love watching from Letterboxd, the social network for people who love watching movies. I'm Gemma, please say hello to Slim. Hello. Welcome back to the return (laughs) of the Four Favorites edition. It was nice to have a little break, but something was missing, I guess, the stress and excitement of trying to cram four movies in every week in order to be up to speed with our guest. But call it fate, call it luck, call it karma, our esteemed guest this week has blessed us with four epic rewatches that are almost impossible for a movie lover to not have seen
0: our guest is a podcast god a movie insider funny man you may know him from respecto Montalbán, you may know him from human giant you may know him as pickles from army of one We know him, though, as Letterboxd member Paul Shear, Famous in podcasting circles for shows including the genius How Did This Get Made? in which Paul and his besties Jason Manzukis and June Diane Raphael ask, how did films like Speed 2 Cruise Control get made? And unspooled with Amy Nicholson. Looking at the best films of all time, including my best film of all time, RoboCop. Oh, yeah. And now Paul is the guest on the Letterboxd show with his four favorites, Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Paul, welcome to the show. So excited to be here. And I'm such uh, a fan of the
2: show, but I'm also a fan of Letterboxd. And I, I really have to say that this has been one of the best social media experiences I've ever had. Uh, and I tell people about Letterbox all the time because, you know, when you're in that moment of trying to figure out what to watch. It's so wonderful to see what your friends are watching. And I beg people to get on letterbox because there's no social component to it like why like i'm like oh i saw greta gerwig deleted her letterbox profile when they found out that like she had one and then it was like her movies that were the inspiration for barbie like what who cares that's cool it's like and by the way like what do we what do we care that she has 12 movies that ins- that are she's using for inspiration like why are we hiding this like Everybody should be on there. I want to see like Quentin Tarantino's Letterbox. I want to right? like. It's the easiest thing to do. It's just it's, it's it's Soderbergh does it and so convoluted. It like let's just keep it on here. Like Soderbergh, come over to Letterbox.
1: <laughs> I think you. Be, I think you're talking about Margot Robbie and it was proven oh, to Margot be. Robbie, a, it, was sorry. it was proven to be a fake account. But we welcome Margot and Greta and. Wait, everyone. what did I say? What did I say? Yeah, did you said Greta. It's all good. Oh, Greta. All good. oh yes, Greta, come sorry. on yeah. too. We'll take we'll yeah, take everybody. We'll take you, yes. Noah, sorry, So Greta Greta,
2: Noah. Greta 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 is directing it. Margo's in it, so Mar- oh So, oh, even more interesting that she had her Barbie inspiration up there. She wasn't even directing it. So there you I th- go,
1: Paul. I think you. I, I I love that you are out and proud about using letterbox because we do actually have quite a few uh, secret accounts of mm. I know I yeah. need to know who these
2: secret accounts
1: oh. are I gotta get I'll try it I'll tell uh. slim mute for a second <laughs> yeah mute me I can't even hear him
0: uh. everyone's just gonna look at Paul's account and see who he followed on this date and be like oh what are these yeah. rando accounts
2: but you know uh, I'm excited to talk to you about the the pick four of it all because mm. I you know I want to talk to you both about this idea of the four movies that you want to represent you or anything like that. And I feel like we get in the zone and I, and I've changed my pick for a handful of times, but, but I, I feel like sometimes we are trying to put the dating profile of ourselves <laughs> in front of you know our 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 movies. So it's like, yes, I'm going to put a foreign film there. I'm going to put a black and white film there, and then I'm going to put something like, oh, you may not even, oh, I'm going to Starship Troopers. You know, or a, you know, it's like, you're <laughs> yeah. like, you're you're you're, to you're trying to the, like game. I'm a
1: quirky guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and so
2: when I what I had this moment of, I had set my four, and then you know I I I thought to myself, I was like, are these my four? Like they are in a way. Like I love. Uh, 2001. And I hadn't seen 2001 in the theater until about two years ago. When I saw it, it blew my mind. And it, it, it to me, when Amy and I have been doing Unspooled, we've talked about a lot of movies and, and 2001 really is stuck in my mind for a long, I felt like I finally got it. And I put that on my top four and I was like, my God, that like that movie is important to me. That's a, that's a really amazing movie. But then I realized like, that's like a movie that I really respect and I love. It's not the movie that I've watched the most. And I started to think like, what are the movies that I've watched the most? What are the, like, I love so many movies, but what are the movies that I go back to time and time and time again? The ones that I can tell you the lines of. And I'm like, those are my favorite. Those clearly are my favorite mm-hmm. movies. It may not pr- paint me. And as a matter of fact, it kind of does paint me into a very, like you can tell my era and age from like the times, but I'm like, I actively w- want to bring forward this idea that it's okay to like and and embrace movies that maybe like don't get that love like they're never in the top four right. I want to put the nevers in the top four in the top four so that's what my what I've been wrestling with so when you when you you know maybe people might think like oh my gosh Paul's uh, incredibly pedestrian but I, I want to explain why <laughs> why I am I'm not embarrassed about it
0: I'm not embarrassed about it it's being... time to be brave Paul that's all I have to do I have vanilla I have vanilla sky in my top four right now letter <laughs> by the way I respect you for that Thank and you. like
2: and that and that's the you know um I do think it's like, it's interesting. And, and four is always hard, just like we, we learned many years ago with, um, was it uh, MySpace, right? Was oh, when the, we had uh, to pick yeah, our four friends. Yeah. And yeah, like, you know.
1: <laughs> rough. <laughs> Who's not invited to Christmas this year?
2: You know, yeah. yeah. And it's like, different times of the year bring different things. It's like, it's, it's, uh, but it's it's tricky, but it's like, what are the movies that have affected me the most? So it's something I always wrestle with. And I've tried many times to be like, oh, this or that or this. And I really was trying to actively get movies that I never talk about. I didn't do it for the show. I did it plenty before we mm-hmm. even talked about doing the oh, show. Yeah. Like, what are the, you know, and I wanted to be more, res- more, um, like, uh, respectful of myself. I wanted to be like, oh. this is what I really do feel. So I'm excited to talk about them because.
1: Oh, I love that. I have Paddington in my top four. See,
2: of course. Amazing. See, we we did Paddington 2 on Unspooled. And I talk about that movie as being like one of the it's it's just a fantastic movie. I love Paddington 1 as well. Yeah. But uh, it's so funny, like people want to shit on it because uh, they're like, well, it, it's a kid's movie or it's a, well, it's, it's good for that, it's it's good for this. I'm like, but it's but no, it's actually like a fantastic movie. And I think that sometimes these movies like we we have this joke on on spool. They're not a joke, but we say we're going to find the hundred best films and then send them into space. People are like, well, Paddington can't go on the spaceship. I'm like, well, why not? Like, what what is so different between Paddington Two and It's a Wonderful Life? You know, Paddington oh. will bring
1: marmalade sandwiches. Yeah. He is so useful on a spaceship. That's all yes. I have to say. He's going to bring the marmalade sandwiches and he's going to bring the manners. I mean, imagine how badly it could go when you just put a whole bunch of crazy movie characters together in a spaceship and then you've got Paddington I would going i love see i didn't even hey, think about guys. that
2: i don't <laughs> want that i do want that but i do think that there's this like this idea of like what is worthy like what is a worthy movie and i and i think that we often devalue like popcorn films but also like i'm a big believer that if we were to send 100 movies up to space I want The Room, the Tommy Wiseau's The Room on that list, <laughs> uh, I, you know, or something like Rocky Horror Picture Show, because there are something about those oh, two movies that yeah. are like, these are movies that have culturally caught on in a way that no other movie has. Like These are midnight screenings around the country, uh, you know, around the world for decades. Like, that's a good movie. It may not be a perfect movie, but it's a... What is the perfect way? I don't know. I wrestle with this a lot. So, this is what you'll be hearing a lot. Yeah. Got an
1: important me. question. Is Axel Foley on the spaceship? I mean, for me, Axel <laughs> Foley's on the spaceship. I
2: mean, and this is the thing too. Axel Foley's on my spaceship. <laughs> Axel Foley is, because Axel Foley to me is Beverly Hills cop I put on the list. And sometimes I would argue, I'd wrestle with. Those cup two or one, I think as I've gotten older, I respect one. It's like I was first introduced to uh Roger Moore as James Bond, and then oh, yeah. I re- understood, you know, He's oh, Sean my Connery. James Bond. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah you yeah. know, so you go back, yeah. you I mean, and, and look, I, I have a lot of respect for George Lazenby too, so uh, but um, but to me, Eddie Murphy growing up was and still is to this day an icon, like a comedian, like that. I just was like, he made me laugh. and I was watching him on Saturday Night Live. I just thought he was the funniest person. And as a kid who loved cop movies, I love, I I grew up in an era of buddy cop movies and wanting to like run around in my backyard with like a gun tucked in my waistband and pretend I was undercover. You know, like this is the perfect merging of a comedy and a cop movie. And and also Martin Brest, the director of this, It does a great job. It's a good, like, it is a good, solid cop movie. And that opening is one of the best, you know, weird chases you'll ever see. Eddie Murphy hanging off the side of a cigarette truck, a uh, (laughs) 16-wheeler, destroying (laughs) Detroit, like, going through Detroit. And it's like, I argue, like, give me a better opening scene. Like, there's no CGI there. That truck is running over. It is—when you watch that sequence, it is— there's a man hanging on the side of a truck flying in and out and it is just there's something I love an inarticulate chase like like yeah. a Mack truck like a 16-wheeler Mack truck like there's only one kind of chase you're gonna get and it's yeah. gonna be sloppy <laughs> and it's like and, and it's like I wanna see more of that like yeah sure I love Fast and Furious and everything like that but it's like uh, you yeah, that's real professional stump people doing some great stuff. Oh, and you're watching stuff.
1: that and you know the title is Beverly Hills Cop, So you're set yes. up, right? Yeah, you're like, yeah. You're guy, like, where are we yeah. Hey, this guy's going to West Los Angeles. This is gonna get messy. This is gonna I mean, be wild. It's,
2: it's so great, and I think it's like there's so many great uh, character actors in it. I, I, I often point to the the head of the Detroit police. Uh, who was actually the head of the Detroit Police they just Wait, took him yeah that guy Gill uh he, he's uh, he's the he's the boss like you know uh I think he says in this movie
0: don't think Axel makes my dick it.
2: Or maybe that's the second movie I can't remember that line is forever burnt into my mind uh because it makes me like I don't even know what it means but I love it um but he like, they were taking a tour of the Detroit Police department and they Heard him talking like, oh, well, we'll just cast him as My the guy, God. and wow. that's you know, and that's him, and Paul Reiser in a great little role there, and then you have like, you know, I I always grew up knowing like Ronnie Cox, this Ronnie Cox we just talked about RoboCop, RoboCop, you know, Ronnie Cox from RoboCop, you know, is a totally different Ronnie Cox, mm-hmm. and John Ashton who I love in Midnight Run, and you know, and and it's like I feel like everyone's at the top of their game, but it's it's mm-hmm. you're right, it's it is a, in many respects, what I love about this movie is two things it's a straight up cop movie that is you could see it in many different ways it was supposed to be for Stallone he pulled out he Mm. did keep the name because it was like uh his name was supposed to be Axel Cobretti so he (laughs) took the name Cobretti and they made Cobra with that character uh but then you know but then Eddie Murphy had to kind of jump in and like and basically had like only a couple weeks prep and then you kind of see like what it is. It's like, oh, wow, everyone worked together here. Like Axel Foley, like, I give him an Axel Foley. Uh, Eddie Murphy is just like dancing around these scenes. Like every little scene is a moment for him to do a character and improvise and do mm-hmm. this little thing. And then Martin Brest does create some interesting characters and then tells like an interesting story, I think, about class and race embedded in this very simple cop movie. Because it's like, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone going to Beverly Hills is interesting, but a uh, a young black man who looks like Eddie Murphy, who doesn't belong for multiple reasons.
1: He drives a beat up Chevy Nova, right?
2: Yeah, and a, and a Chevy Nova with that <laughs> terrible like luggage bag that he has, like an army bag where they're carrying it like it's diseased. And from, like it just becomes like this movie and not to make it like too deep, but it does become about like where you're allowed to go and, and what you're doing and how, who trusts you. And it's like, and that, and that, kind of is brought out by eddie murphy doing that scene in the hotel where he's like you know they don't let they don't let black people into the beverly hilton hotel or you know
0: or you know <laughs> and it's like, tell again, him the but price just, of the night at the yeah. hotel and he just deadpans his yeah. reaction <laughs> my god yeah, that's so, it's so good great.
2: <laughs> so the movie is like i think it works on so many levels and i think that like you know it's like so you do have this movie that is about like uh you know race and uh and society and what you could get away with and it's and uh yeah, I just, I, I just kind of love it. And I love that it's all about like, an, I love these like stories that, you know, there's a simplicity of like, yeah, it's an art dealer bringing cocaine in. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's <laughs> nothing nothing too, too complex. Like, you know, now it's always about like creating a serum that's going to end the world. But no, yeah. it's just like- and It's just no, an art just, dealer
1: bringing in cocaine. And through that, you get to have a bit of the art world as well, which is its yeah. own crazy world over and above the class and the race and the sex. It's yeah, like, you're you're
2: capturing like a Beverly Hills. Like I'm I'm obsessed with like movies that take place in like the mid to late '80s because it does capture time in America. Whether it is like whether it is Fatal Attraction or Wall Street or Beverly Hills Cop, it's like there was like this energy around rich. You know mm-hmm. what is rich and what is yeah. art and what do we do? And we're 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 all gawking at them and we kind of want to be with them. And yeah, you get these
0: great moments. It's really fun, Joe. What did you, what did you think of Beverly Hills Cop? Oh Have you had God. you seen this before?
1: So I thought I had, I'm like, oh, this is an easy uh, four faves. This is going to be right. a Donald. just a quick rewatch of every single one. Yeah. I start watching Beverly Hills Cop and I'm like, wait, I've I've never seen this before. I'm oh, <laughs> quite
2: wow. embarrassing. Did you, even, did you see any of the Beverly Hills Cop? Beverly
1: Hills Cop 2, 100%. Yeah, I said, okay, got
2: it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. And I was
1: like, hang on. I must have been so confused. But also I was watching it in the 80s as a teenager. So anyway, this was a, a really entertaining and quite thrilling first-time watch for me, given that, uh, given everything that's happened since, given who Eddie Murphy is now, given all yeah. the kind of character comedy he's done since. But I'm just going to, I just want to highlight two things from the perspective of a feminist watching an 80s cop movie yeah. featuring mostly men. Mm-hmm. Two things. One. One. I'm waiting for the inevitable strip club scene because there's always of course. Yes. always a fucking strip club. Like, yep. mm-hmm. Even if there's no sex in the movie and there's no sex in this, but we'll get to that. There will be tits, right? And I'm like, where yes. are the tits? Oh, here are the tits. But what a scene in that strip what club. What a scene, right? Oh my They God. really
2: do a great job of like, yeah. like, it's like, okay, we need to do this scene. But because it's a cop movie and it, it's the 80s. So we're gonna have to have some boobs. Yeah, they don't make it super sexual. And then they have this amazing... like it's this moment that connects him to the other guys. It's like mm. it's like, oh, he's actually good. Like he's smart. And it's like, and it's it's odd because a strip club really takes a back. It's like, oh yeah, it's happening at a strip club, yeah. but it's not like it's not about like, oh we're talking about women. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm watching this guy who is going to do this bad thing. Yeah, and it's, oh, but with, it's with also great the scene.
1: placement, right? So yeah. Axel Foley is taking these two white Beverly Hills yeah. cops into the strip club, and he seats them with their backs to the dancers. And right, he can yeah. see the dancers, and he's looking at their faces. He's looking yeah. at the dancers. So he's getting all the pleasure. Um, yeah. But he's not, he's just totally playing it straight. Oh my God, what a scene. And then the other aspect of it I loved is that, again, there's always like one woman in these movies. And like Robocop, It's, you know, the one woman is fantastic. Jenny is such a great character. She's so good. Jenny's a a great character. She's a school, uh, high school friend of Axel's and the friend of his who was murdered at the beginning, which kicks off the whole investigation. She works in the art gallery for the cocaine dealer. You think you know the, the 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 tone of these things is that they will at some point get together right but it's not about that it's just no, about no it's a
2: platonic relationship yeah
1: oh yeah. god she's cool and she's like i'm coming with you He's like, stay in the car no i'm coming with you i'm
2: coming <laughs> yeah <right."> there's Yeah, like, <laughs> there's like a real fun play that they have together that like and and look will she be captured by the bad guy at the end and held with a gun to her head of course like i mean that you know we're going to get that you know we're going to yeah. get that moment but
1: <laughs> but in that moment do we feel like she's completely helpless Probably not, actually. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Do you feel like she could get a kick in there and do something? Yeah. Like, I, th- I think that what I like about this movie is, and I'm, I'm here, I'm curious, I'm glad to hear it from your perspective there, too, because I always liked Jenny. Like, I didn't, Jenny didn't feel like just a run of the mill, kind of 80s, like, uh, female character that they always kind of planted in. And, like, she had a sense of fun, a sense of self, and she also didn't really. Like she's like Axel. What are you doing? Like this doesn't make yeah. sense. Like she was a little like it felt like she wasn't just along for the ride. Like she had a she did have uh, a point of view, and I think that yeah. that was really interesting.
1: And knowing that she'd gone to school with those guys, she's a Detroit yeah. girl made good, so she mm-hmm. might present yeah. Beverly Hills to look at but she's worked hard to get there and there's a reason why she's kind of embedded with this guy i don't know slim i'm interested in in the in the 80s action hero canon of yours this your is my this heart. is my
0: decade jamie you know that this is yeah. my decade it's your of, decade of film. we're
1: Where does Axel Foley, where does Axel Foley fit? But also where does uh, bungling rookie detective Billy Rosewood fit?
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. I actually, so when I grew up, my, my older brother watched Eddie Murphy's, Eddie Murphy movies constantly. So at Golden Child, I have like visceral memories where he's like spinning the... Yes, yes. Uh, I want the knife. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. I've seen clips of that, but I don't even know if I've ever seen the whole movie as an adult, but...
2: It's not a really great movie and I always hold it in uh, disregard because he turned down Star Trek IV The Voyage Home to do <laughs> Golden Child <laughs> and I would have much preferred uh, him in that uh, instead. But anyway, go yeah, ahead.
0: Yeah, so I have memories. so I, I grew up also watching Eddie Murphy Raw. Like the his comedy specials were pretty formative. Now, you know, they... There are some spots that don't hold up, but the soundtrack to this movie is so insane. One of the best, most noticeable yeah. music soundtracks of any movie that I can think of. I love his laugh, Eddie Murphy's laugh, maybe the most distinctive laugh in the history of film, in my opinion. I love that they, yeah. I love
1: that they take the Mickey out of his laugh too, like Jenny <laughs> yeah, does. Yeah
2: yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Well, you know what? Like, I, like, it was interesting because I'm like, if you put Stallone in this, is she as much fun? And I think that like Eddie Murphy as a actor and a Performer actually gives this like m- like gives her a chance to be more interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. she, you can see like she's like like there's a there's a friendship that like really pops, and you you'll see it with uh, Bronson Pinchot too. Like like there's a play, like he gives a little play, you know. Bronson
0: Eddie exchange in that gallery is maybe my favorite scene in the movie. Now I'll have you something to drink: a wine, a cocktail, uh, uh, espresso. No, I'm fine. Thank you. I'll make it myself right back there with a the little lemon twist. It's good. Try it. No, I'm, I'm fine. I see you look at this piece. Yeah, I was wondering how much something like this went for. $130,000. Get the fuck out yeah. of here. Oh, no, I cannot. It's serious because it's a very important piece. Have you ever sold one of these? I it yesterday to a collector.
1: Get the fuck out yeah. of here. i serious. I said it myself. <laughs>
2: Bronson so Pinchot funny. was on Black Monday and I could not. I, I had to wait like three days before I could like uh, <laughs> like bombard him with questions. And then I finally
0: got a chance to and it was amazing. It was how, is that the first thing you said? Like, you know, I know we're working real hard, but let's just finally talk about Beverly Hills Cop. That scene that you had. <laughs> you know, to I, buddy, like, I
2: never, <laughs> I never want to like, I never want to just like jump right in. And he has like an amazing career and he's done like so many great things. But uh-huh. I was like, I really want to like dig in. I, mean, I could talk about risky business, perfect strangers. I could do, like, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. I really want to dig into this. And, uh, and it just came up organically, and I was like all ears, ready to <laughs> Oh, my go. God.
0: <laughs> awesome. We
1: have three more films we need to talk about. Sorry, so sorry, I just, oh, so just want to highlight a couple of uh, Letterboxd member lists that Beverly Hills Coppers is on. So Todd Gaines has a list called Coffee and Donuts, A Beginner's Guide to Buddy Cop Movies. That's a good one. Wraith Ape's Killer Synth Scores. This surely is mm. near the top of that. Um, Sweetie Dudes Cinema a chronology by yeah. the River Jordan who wrote my favorite review of this film. Beverly Hills Cop is what happens when an outsider artist collides with a resolute insider of the Hollywood system. It's a movie with a rebellious spirit that plays almost too well within its own lines. I love that comment. Ooh, I like uh, that. Yeah, it's good, eh? And finally, um, Linus's list, spoiler alert, bitch, is a, f- uh. <laughs> is a brilliant list of Films that spoil other films. In this case, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. If you haven't seen that, don't watch Beverly Hills Cop before you watch Butch Cassidy. Well, you know
2: what's so interesting? <laughs> like, I, I always talk about this a lot. Like I, I showed Beverly Hills Cop to my wife um recently, like in the last like two or three years, and she like really loved it. And it's like she's that this is not her neither her genre nor like her go-to to watch. And she just but she got into it. And I think what these movies do sometimes. And sometimes they, they work out better, but like you see the DNA of this movie and so many other things, and then you see like, oh, why couldn't they make it as good as this? Or what what like what was the magic here? What was this? And even Beverly Hills Cop 2 is a glossier version of this. Like, and it's good. I think Beverly Hills Cop 1 is a lot more. Um, streamlined. It's a little bit more like uh, rough around the edges, uh, and I like Beverly Hills Cup Two a lot. But Beverly's Cup Two, it's like Eddie Murphy's a lot more successful. The movie's a lot more glossy. Mm-hmm. It's Tony Scott, uh, which is great, and I love Tony Scott, and I think he's one of the most underrated uh, directors. But uh, but it, it, like this movie, it's like you start to see in the DNA and other things, and you start to be like. Either it feels too familiar, but you're like, oh, that happened first, or sometimes it does something better. And you're like, oh yeah. Like I mean, obviously Butch Cassidy came first. But uh but like it's it's always interesting to see like the effect that these films have. And then when you actually see the but the good version of what you want to see, it's
1: so fun. Yeah, absolutely. We we have to move on to a film. Patrick Williams writes. A movie with no emotional core, no character arcs or growth. Mm. No one learns anything. It's not saying anything. It shouldn't work, but somehow it's perfect. No one has been able to replicate it and they should stop trying. Which of your four faves do you think Patrick is talking about?
2: Ooh, that's really interesting. <laughs> okay. So, oh, all right. This is really good. I like this. I, I like this a lot. So let me just, I'm going to look at him. Just saying one more time. Uh, we have Beverly's Cop, Ghostbusters uh back to the future and planes trans automobiles i'm going to say ghostbusters you uh, are <laughs> correct <yes>. yeah because <laughs> it, it, because and the, the giveaway for me was uh no arcs cuz that is true and then and then also people are trying to replicate it we're talking about this idea what makes ghostbusters work I, I i did a movie with Harold Ramis uh called year 1 and another person who i'm a completely a fan of and i sat down with him one of the best things about Harold Ramis was at the end of every night, for the most part, when we were working on this movie, he's like, well, we're going to dinner. And we'd all go to dinner every single night when we worked on this movie. And uh, and and sometimes at lunch, you know, he'd sit down and we'd chalk. He's just loved to tell stories. And the best part about Harold Ramis was he told you the stories as if it was maybe the first time he told them. you know. So it didn't feel like, okay, you want to hear the story? I'll tell you this fucking story. <laughs> like It was like, no, I'm telling you like, oh my gosh, I never thought about it. And so we talked about Ghostbusters and the thing that he said to me that I loved and I've repeated it a bunch, but he said, you know, people, what people get wrong about Ghostbusters is it's not about ghosts. It's about starting a business. He's like, that's what that movie is. He's like, the ghosts are the specific He's like, but the, but the thing is, it's about these guys who start a business and they're failing and then it becomes successful and then how that success, uh, you know, marks them. And when you look at it like that, like there's something about it where I'm like, yes, there are ghosts there, but I think that that's why all these other duplicate movies don't get it right. Because they, they, and I'm not talking about Ghostbusters. I'm just talking about like movies that are like Evolution or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, it's like they start, like the premise is so heightened. That it's like, well, like, what we buy in is, like, when we meet these characters, they're, like, low-level scientists, like, working to get grant money. Like, they're not, like, they're not cool, they're not hip, you know, they don't, like, they, they have some theories on some stuff, you know, and they are, but it's not like, it's not a, it's a, it's a not a bizarro world. The world becomes bizarro at the end, but, um...
1: But the starting the business stuff, it's just brilliant, isn't it? It's, it's like down to the, the one guy who's got the money that's his 401k or whatever it is. That, yeah, you know, he yeah. spends it all on buying that old fire station and they're trying to get and the that price shitty down. Car. And, oh, that terrible and car. And it's got a fire pole. Yeah. The ad, the ad for the business that Sigourney Weaver's character sees on the yes. TV, which is like probably on the what Manhattan Neighbourhood Network or something yeah, like exactly. on low rent cable. All those details are so great. Like the very, very New York-y details. I, yeah. One, my, one of my few notes about this film was there are some very enthusiastic extras in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There's some. Uh, they earned I it. I mean, especially yeah, they they really are working it. Uh, I love that there's a del- there's deleted scenes. I had the old Criterion Laserdisc, not even the oh, uh, nice. Blu-ray, uh, which was uh, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd played like multiple roles in this. They played like these two uh, homeless guys that came throughout the movie, and they and they cut the like there were like two or three sequences of them reacting to the city, which I'm always so bummed they cut out, but it was a funny idea. But I, I do think it's again we're talking about another movie that. You know, there's like Beverly Hills Cop that like exists on the shoulders of the camaraderie of these characters. Like, do we need growth? Do we need, I don't know. It's like, I think that probably every screenwriting teacher would tell you like, yeah, well, what are, what are the things that we need? And I think, you know, what I think this, the story is in a way is like, it's about these characters who believe that there is something and then they are right And then they get the success from it and then they save the day. I mean, there is like, you know, there's a little bit like, it's a, it's not like they're not learning so, so much, but you know, and I would also, you know, argue that like, you know, I mean, I guess I'm not going to argue for the (laughs) characters, but, 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 you know, but But I don't know. The Bill
1: Bill Murray skeevy university professor to Sigourney Weaver's boyfriend arc. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. Like,
2: like, It's like, he cares about her. He He wants to save her, like puts his life in jeopardy to, to save her. And, and uh, yeah, I think that there's some really, again, it's just like really great, ca- like a yeah. simple premise, and it doesn't overstay its welcome either. It's like, mm-hmm. what is it? You know, it's not, it's not an hour and forty-five minutes. You know, whatever it is. And there's right. a good,
1: there's a there's a good bit of Jaws. You know, there's a good bit of mm-hmm. um, the establishment doesn't believe them and wants to remove their power yeah. but then has to partner up with them to save the city like there's some there's think, some yeah. good local body politics going on there.
2: Yeah, I love <laughs> I you know Willem, Willem uh Atherton is so great like but I I do think and like the mayor is so good. There's so many fun things about this movie. Like why does it why does this movie work is a question I think about a lot and I, and I do think that we might try to overcomplicate things, you know, to a certain extent. And there's something about the SNL movies, and it's not an SNL movie, mm-hmm. but SNL movies that kind of work in the sense that, well, what's the plot of Tommy Boy? What's I was the just plot about to like? say
0: Tommy Boy, my God. Yeah, Black right? Sheep. It's
2: like Black Sheep, or, or I'm even thinking like uh, uh, Billy Madison. Like yes. sometimes you can just take a very simple idea premise and just you don't have your characters kind of dance around it and through it and play in that world because you have enough beats and set pieces that make it interesting. I think the ghosts here heighten it, right? Like, you know, so you get oh, you get bigger ghosts and Marshmallow Man is a really funny thing. And I think sometimes like in the noting process and just being on the other side of it sometimes too, when you're writing and getting notes, it's like, well, we want to get more into it. Why are they doing it? What's going on here? What's this? What's that? And it's like that kind of stuff, I think leadens the plot. It's like, sometimes you just want to be like, we want to run. We want to just run with a, a light idea, and there can be room for light ideas. I think that sometimes, you know, Marvel movies, in, in when they really work well, like you know, like Ant Man. I think sometimes it's like, oh, we're just going to do something a little bit lighter, have a little <laughs> bit more fun. You know, it's like we don't have. And but I think that like we there's a fear sometimes of, of of a lighter concept. Right. You know, but those are some of the classic movies. You talk about Bill and Ted's. It's a light concept. Oh. What's Bill and Happy, Ted's? Are there Happy, Happy more? Another one. Happy Gilmore. Like, I mean, all these, like, these, cla- like, the classic 80s movies that people are like, why don't they make more of those are often movies that there's not that much there, there, but it's, like, it's just, like, it's fun. It's, like, mm-hmm. and it's a sense of fun, and it's not, it's not about creating a, a lot of stakes or, you know, the stakes are, I need to pass my report. You know, or, I don't go to, you know, it's, like, the stakes are low, but they are, you know, I don't know, relatable or... I just think it's, like, there, there are these certain films that we that we like and it's so hard to come by nowadays
0: yeah last maybe the last review I want to spotlight for Ghostbusters from Matt Singer friend of the show as a New York City resident of almost 20 years I find it extremely plausible that a thoughtless Con Edison employee almost brings about the end of the world
1: (laughs) Ah, that's amazing Uh, I love that Paul you have a list on your letterbox called the best third ones yes and what's curious to me is that Back to the Future Three is not on this. One of the best you know, westerns ever made. Uh,
2: you know, you're, you're. You know what? By the way, you're. That's that is a shocking uh, omission that I probably forgot to put on there because I actually, I, I uh, look, I, I like the Back to the Future trilogy as one full film. Mm, yeah, uh, and on that. Uh, yeah, uh, but, uh, but you know what? If I'm going to be truthful with myself, am I going back to watch? Back to the Future 3. Probably not that much. I will tell you that Back to the Future 2 is the one that grew on me. I used mm-hmm. to be a number one, number three person, and now I think I'm a number one, number two person more.
1: Why is that?
2: I don't know. I think that number two... Well, first of all, Back to the Future is such a... I think you don't ever need a sequel to Back to the Future. Like, I think that that's, like, that's, let's just, let's just like, let's yeah, just. Yeah, but where we're going,
1: z- we don't need roads. I mean, what an amazing ending to that film, you know? It's
2: Great, like, and we never need to see it again. There's so many things, <laughs> yeah, there, there's so many things we never see need to see again. Like, by the way, let my imagination run with that. It's like, we don't need to paint it all. Like, you know, I feel like the difference between that was, like, that was a line that they're like, that's a great line and we're out. And, you know, it's like, not a, like that wasn't like them trying to set up a trilogy. <laughs> yeah.
0: They screwed themselves <laughs> with that line. Oh, we actually have to yeah. make that real. God damn.
2: Yeah. And like, oh, geez. <laughs> I think what what I like about Back to the Future 2 was it did something very different than Back to the Future 1. Back to the Future 1 is a straight up, like, fun time travel movie. It's like a fish out of water. And it's, you know, it's a great, you know, it's been, you know, people love it to, uh, they love it, and when of course you love it, and I love it, and it's it's a great movie. It's but I think Back to the Future Two does something really fun, which is it plays within what is time travel and alternate timelines, so stuff that like the talk that we get into now. That movie was doing so early and creating this like we these weird versions of things, and you know Doc Brown drawing like oh, it went this way, and that, that we have to spike it back here. And I think that that was like almost too complicated for the audience to enjoy like that's why back to the future three i think connects more it's like oh no now they're just going back to the old west and they have a mission they have to do and they're going to solve it it's very similar to number one but number two is a lot more weird it's like it's a you know it is it's it's more fun they're popping in and out they're going into the first movie like it i think that that movie would be more celebrated if it came out now than then like Mm. almost a a little bit before uh before its time and how it was kind of subverting what they did so in a good way they like oh we can't just do it again like let's figure out a funnier and more interesting way to do it but I don't know if people wanted that but to see Marty like (laughs) above himself playing in the Enchantment Under the Sea dance in number two like great and the way that like you know uh the way that Biff like I mean uh you know, uh, Thomas Wilson is great as that that kind of Donald Trumpian, you know, I mean, look, I think, I think you know, throughout the pandemic, people really were talking about the comparisons between oh, Donald yeah. Trump and, you know, it's like, it's right there. You know, there's a lot of great stuff, you know. Um.
1: So I have a question for for both of you as American boys. Mm. Uh, coffee has a list on Letterboxd called I'm 16 and this is the greatest movie Ever made? <laughs> I I'm uh, just I gonna put it. it out there. I Marty McFly did nothing for me. I love Michael J. Fox, love him. Family right. Ties, one of the greatest sitcoms ever made. But sure. he did nothing. I'm a Doc Brown girl. I was all about Christopher Lloyd and those cute little pink pleats on his plutonium. Uh, I suit. love it. But what did Marty McFly mean to both of you as a as a as a cinema icon?
0: Some I'll let you. talk I, I, I mean I have plenty to say, but I'll let you talk. Some of my memories. Of this movie was, you know, at the end where he's set everything right and he finds out that he has that truck, his dream truck in the garage. Yeah. Like that was that was burned into my brain. Like, oh my God, I this is the dream truck. I need to get this at some point in my life. Eventually I did. Do, thank you, God.
1: do you have that truck? I, <laughs> do it's you a, have the,
0: it a black Jeep, but it's essentially that same thing. I love it. Um, but th- this is it's it's funny to look back on these like '80s movies, the fr- mainly specifically the franchises, because as I've grown up in, as an adult, all of the dream toys that I wanted from these movies now exist. Yes. where I know, like, and
2: I, do, I have less and less places to put exactly. them. Exactly, <laughs> like won't accept every them, yeah.
0: dream toy that I wanted as a kid, whether it be a lightsaber or replica replicas from Back to the Future or Ghostbusters, they're all real and you can have them. Um, and there's just this point of my life as a kid where I, this was a f- super formative film and I was in love with it. And this is a great five-star movie, but like, it's crazy how, as I started watching this or going through Doc's house, it felt like in my head, like a Universal Studios set, like ride, like, oh my God, all of this merch that I would want to buy right now, watching <laughs> it again. Um, but yeah, those are the memories I have when I rewatch this is like, I want that, I want that, I want that.
2: Well, you're so right. I like these are the like you know this list could almost be like here are four movies that I wanted m- merch for that they did never have and they never made like you know when they finally made a Mumford uh, Mumford Fizz Ed uh, shirt I bought right. it yes. you know and, and 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 you know the <laughs> Ghostbusters costume the proton packs everything um, I I think for me what Michael J Fox represented and coming from family ties and all that sort of stuff is he felt relatable right like he was cool but not cool like he wasn't like the um this like i think as many women found him to be sexy maybe he did not but uh but like he wasn't like he was more of like the accessible fun guy like alex p keaton obviously republican and with whatever and all that sort, not to say that that was like what it was, but like, here's a guy who's like, he's in a band, but his band isn't like that great. Like, he's got a girlfriend, but he's like not super popular, but he's also like not not popular. Like, he represented like an attainable thing. Like, I wanted the skateboard after this movie. Like, you wanted the truck, I wanted the skateboard. Like, yeah. his, best, uh, and,
1: his best friend is some nerdy physician inventor. Yes, yeah, exactly. Shade. Right. <laughs> yeah. And th- there's something about it where it's
2: like, I think. Um, for people like me, like that was way more like relatable. As like, oh, I can be him. I am him. And you know, instead of you know, he didn't. You know, he just was. Um, yeah, like he was clumsy and funny, and you know, like there was a a really everyman kind of thing to him. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for me you know it's it's you know i i guess we've gotten so polarized too like he played this character that you know was supposed to be like a antithesis to his parents right? his parents and family ties these hippies and all this sort of stuff and he's like this Rep- reagan republican kind of guy but we love him like we like america loves him like even though he's representing these things but at, at that time we're also embracing like a certain thing of the 80s like at that time you know people did love that kind of energy too so um Yeah, he was, to me, the most relatable, like, star of my time. A Mm -hmm. comedy, young, young man comedy star. Because even on SNL, they're older, right? Like, they're, Mm -hmm. you know, I may like those people. I may like Bill Murray. I may like Steve Martin, but they're not my age. And not the, he he was older than me. But, you know, I guess it's like Ricky Schroeder or something like that. But Ricky Schroeder didn't feel as cool as he did, you know? Indiana
1: Jones was older, you know, all of these. Yeah, all these
2: people are older. Yeah. seeing a kid you know so I think that there's something about that and and I think that like you know that you know famously Eric Stoltz was supposed to play Marty McFly and they shot with him and then they realized it wasn't working and and you know and it's I think that the change over to you know Marty makes the movie really, really comedic there's so many comedic beats that he adds to it you know just like Wait a second. You made a time machine out of a DeLorean? Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. you know, like, it's like like just the way that he delivers those lines or just the way like he's, you know, like heavy, like all that like kind of yeah. stuff like he's like there's like he lightens that film up and I think he's just like you you want to go with him. You want to be on that journey. I don't know. Yeah, but there's like like I
1: he he, he also it's something the way his voice cracks as well brings a Beautiful yeah. desperation to when he's trying to get that letter into Doc's pocket. And yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when things are going horribly wrong, there's a beautiful emotional element to his voice as well. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking about when you you boys talking about merch and I watched this with my six year old and he he wasn't that interested. He was kinda like, eh. I was yeah. quite underwhelmed and disappointed by his reaction given what this trilogy <laughs> meant to me. Um but then last night he reaches into his massive bucket of Hot Wheels cars and yeah. pulls one out and goes, Look, Mum. It's the DeLorean from the movie. Oh, so fun. I love Proud that. moment. And I'd never noticed he had a little DeLorean, I don't know, inherited from his cousins. But yeah, there it is. You see, look, it's, I, I have a
2: real rule with my kids because I don't want to show them things that I love because I'm afraid they're going to hate them. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm very... <laughs> I'm very careful because I think it's also like those movies are at a different speed They're wait, at a different Wait, so wait, pace. what
1: shit are you showing them if you're not showing
2: them? <laughs> oh man, I where, what am I where I'm uh, I have tickets tonight to go see Super Pets. What do you think? I'm like I you know Sonic 1, Sonic 2, but I think Sonic movies are actually very good. Uh-huh. But uh, they're fun. The kids uh, but love uh, them. yeah, uh, but like the one movie that I showed them from my childhood that I really debated and thought about besides Star Wars um, and they didn't think like, in Star Wars is like a, a hit or miss, um, was Goonies. And they love Goonies. <gasps> mm. They love Goonies. And I was like, you know why they're going to like this movie? It's all about, it's all kids. And it's scary. And I realized that like, my kids don't get like scared that much. You know, and I, I showed my kid, um, I love David Lowery so much. Uh, I think that his movies are fantastic. Oh my God. And uh, I watched Pete's Dragon with my kid. <sighs> and,
1: it's one of the best so, movies ever made. It
2: was so oh, so great. And I watched my son, my son like just burst out in tears. And I realized I mean, there's a certain thing about kids' movies now. We don't get like an emotional attachment to these things. Like we don't get these, these moments or these um scary moments, these sad moments. Like we try to like almost like sand down the edges a little bit. And so when you watch something like E.T. or Pete's Dragon, like it hits my kids, like these movies help me emotionally grow. You know, like some of these movies. Um, And now I think that the pacing of all this sort of stuff is so kind of quick and their memory of it is just different and maybe they'll grow out of it, but it's, I try, like I understand like an 80s movie is not going to connect the same way as a nineties movie or even a 2000 movie. Now, even now 2020 movie, it's like, there's so many different levels of what they're used to. It's like, my kids don't like the Muppets and I'm never going to try to make them like the Muppets. Right. The Muppets what are is great. that
1: about? Why don't the kids these days like the Muppets? I'm, it's, I'm outraged.
2: I, I, uh, I mean, look, I, I like, I mean, great Muppet capers, one of my favorites. Like I yeah. love that movie, but it's like, but it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know what, what it is. Like I, 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 want to show my kid Karate Kid and I'm like, maybe that will work. And oh, actually I did show them that and they love Karate Kid. Uh, hey, yeah, have, so the, you,
1: have you shown your kid? Have Like, I got a six-year-old. Have you got a six-year-old?
2: Yeah, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, Amazing. on Sunday I'll have a six-year-old, yeah.
1: Marcel, oh, happy birthday, kid. Marcel uh, yeah. the shell with shoes on.
2: I was going to suggest that, and then I didn't know if they would like it. But yes, it's good.
1: So we, yes, it's good. We had a very, I talked to Dean fleischer Camp, so I got an advanced screener, sat down to watch it. He's amazing. Sat down to watch it. The kid is in the room. He sits down to watch it. Next minute, he is falling off the couch and slapping the floor with oh, laughter my gosh. at some of Marcel's <laughs> physical antics. It is perfect. And then during the long kind of more emotional moments, he's just, he's invested. And it's probably, I would say, quite a good movie to show a kid who is in the process of losing or has lost a grandparent as well. It's
2: oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Because I, I, I was going to, that was between Super Pets and Marcel, but I was like, you know what, maybe... Go I was like, pets. I just got a little. Uh, yeah, I was going with super pets. I just kind
0: of, I, I, I cheated. Everyone's gonna be looking out for these these super pets review from Paul on Letterbox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when this episode posts.
1: Speaking uh, of Muppets, uh, <laughs> is Steve Martin one of the best ever, ever Muppet <laughs> show co stars?
2: Oh I my gosh, know. Steve Martin, one of the best, one of the best everything. I mean, Steve Martin, <laughs> you know, uh, in the Muppet movie has an amazing performance in the Muppet movie. Uh, you know, he, like Steve Martin, I just saw Steve Martin and Martin Short at the Hollywood Bowl what? doing their show. They yeah, they have a special on Netflix where they, they just basically tor- tour around together and they're amazing. And I've always been a Steve Martin fan. And, you know, and, I'm looking at this, you know, the fourth movie on my list is uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And I think... Why you know? I look at this list. I'm gonna read again. Like Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. All four of those movies are movies that people try to redo, mm-hmm. and they just can't kind of nail it. And I think that all four of these movies are so cast contingent, right? Like it's like they are. It's it's personalities. It's alchemy that kind of works together. And Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a movie that I revisit a ton. It is a movie that I think I love The Jerk. I I, I have like mem- Jerk memorabilia that I think The Jerk is so funny but Plain Trains, Automobiles is the one movie that I find myself of all of his films going back and just it clicks with me in a way that never gets old. I never get tired of it. It's kind of like a Christmas movie. I call it a Thanksgiving movie but uh, it's, you know, it's a perfect one to watch around then and it's this great middle line of adult Steve Martin And like what I knew of Steve Martin, like goofy Steve Martin. And I think that that's like, and then John Candy, I think never better, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in this movie, but it's like, it's an R-rated John Hughes movie, which is great. Uh, You get that. The only reason why it's R's is because that one scene where he says fuck a million times. (laughs) But, um, and I think that was intentional to get that R rating. (laughs) But, um, but, you know, it's like this movie is, like, I think I appreciate it more and more as I'm an adult, but I also feel like it is. Um, it's three of. It's really like three of my favorites. It's John Hughes, who I, I love. John Hughes movies. I love Steve Martin, and I think that John Candy is a guy who has done a lot of movies or did a lot of movies. But this is maybe his one of his best performances. And I think the reason why is because both Steve Martin and and um, Steve Martin and John Candy both can go dark or go sad and go dramatic, but sometimes it's like counterweighted in the wrong way, where it's like, oh, it's not. I'm not getting enough of the up as much as I'm getting the down. Mm-hmm. Like Only the Lonely is a very sad movie, you know, uh, it was a John Candy movie. But then like, but like, this is like a perfect balance of them being very, very funny, but also being like really like grounded and emotional. Yeah. And that ending only works because I think that they can bring so much to it. It really is like a, I don't know. I just, I, I just love, I just love this movie.
0: This, I, yeah, this, this might be my favorite holiday movie too. I watch this every yeah. year, Thanksgiving. I mean, how often do people say they have a Thanksgiving movie really that they put on yeah. every year? But that they Steve Martin, we joked about the Muppet, but I love watching Steve Martin run. He probably has the most defined run oh, yeah. out of any better adult than Tom Cruise human yeah. being. His legs turned into <laughs> helicopters. All chest. All chest. Yeah. <laughs> um the speech from John Candy in that hotel room you know, where he kind of gets dressed down by Mm -hmm. Steve Martin and he kind of stands up for himself like, I like me, my wife likes me. You want to hurt me?
2: Go right ahead if it makes you feel any better. I'm an easy target. Yeah, you're right. I talk too much. I also listen too much. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you. But I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me. I'm not changing. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. My
0: customers like me. Cause I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And
2: that's like mid. That's
0: like that's the middle point of the movie. Yeah. Middle point of the movie. Yeah. It's, of, like yeah early, the movie. it's like yeah. And and one of the, my favorite moments in this movie. It just kind of speaks to how much of an idiot I become with my iPhone. But like. If my plane got canceled and I don't have a phone, I'm dead in 12 hours. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's game over for me.
2: Well, that's the kind of fun thing, too. It's like, it's one of those movies where you really can't remake it. I know they tried to do it with due date, but it's like, you can't really remake it because part of it was of the moment, mm-hmm. right? Of of what they had to deal with, of who they had, who they had connections with and who they had, you know, it's like, so there is this like beauty of that, like of, of, you know, like he's got to call it, like his wife can't text him the entire time because, you know, like he's just got to get to the phone when he gets the phone the and you diner's get diners like club you, card. Oh, the up. diners club card. Oh, it's so <laughs> like, I mean this, it is like, and I, and I do feel like it's an underrated John Hughes movie. Like in the grand scheme of like the John Hughes movies that came out, this was not like the biggest hit. Like you know, like, and I think when people like talk about the Breakfast Club or talk about Home Alone or talk or pretty about Pretty
1: in Pink, Pretty in pretty pink. And pink, yeah, well, It should exactly. be in my four faves. It is mm. one of my favorite films of all time. By the way, I'm just going to be quite quiet through this segment, not because I don't love this movie, but because my only note is Steve Martin, full stop. <laughs> um, uh, and and also specifically because uh, you know I'm a New Zealand girl. It, it there there is something so culturally American about this that I just really want to hear you too. Lean into? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I do. the one other note too about the ending, like everyone loves the ending. You know, when Steve Martin finally comes home to see the to see his wife, his family there, he invites John. That's like a quintessential movie moment. And every time I watch it, I think to myself, like he's been gone for two days. Right. Like, it's like he hasn't right. even been gone that long. It's like my buddy, my buddy Proto said, it's like he's coming home from the great war and his wife is greeting him at the stairs. There, well,
2: you know, there's something about like, there's something about like their, like she's not like, I'm like, what's going on in their marriage? Like what's happening here? But she hasn't been able to talk to him, right? Like she hasn't been, he's been out of touch, you know, and I think that she thinks there's something bad going on, but he misses his kid's show. It, It is Thanksgiving. It's like there, there are, you know, it's like these little tweaks and turns, but you know, it's like, she's just happy that he made it home in time. Like I, I I think I liked this movie as a kid because I liked the actors mm-hmm. and I liked the funniness of like them, you know, going the wrong way down the highway and all that sort of stuff. Like the big goofy stuff. I like this movie as an adult because I think it also talks to us about like the idea of the bubbles that we can all live in, right? Like you can all go through the world and you don't, you don't talk to the person next to you on the plane. Mm-hmm. You don't really look up from your phone. You don't do anything. And, um, and you know is it a fish out of water? I mean it's not like a, it's not like he's getting to enjoy the world, but he's like in a weird way, he's opening himself up to just something different like out of he's out of, like he's like he's like a very anal uh you know retentive kind of mm-hmm. guy, and then he's being forced to kind of not slum but just like kind of see a different perspective and I think that that to me is so engaging and and I think regardless of cell phones and regardless of apps, travel is. Is full of tension, you know. When you have kids, it's even worse. And you know, and and to think of this idea of like being stranded, being left, not getting on a flight, not getting home. It's Thanksgiving, and the reason why you were stuck is because of the idiot boss that you work for. You know, in the best post credit scene, you know, before the Marvel post credit scenes, we got the post credit scene on this of the guy still looking at the drawings, eating his Thanksgiving dinner at the end. You know, it's like one of my favorite moments. But it's like it's like you know, it's like we do all this stuff for. You know, we're trying to do our work, but we're missing out on like life's little moments. Like, there's something. There's such an interesting story about, uh, you know, that too. That I think is that I really, I really connect with. You know, and it's like none of these people they meet are awful Mm -hmm. people. They're just different than what he's used to and I think that like John Kennedy loving all of them and you know like with yeah. Dylan Baker's like oh she had a baby came out sideways she didn't you know she didn't scream or nothing you know it's like <laughs> like it's sort of like I love this idea of them like they can they can kind of connect on moments of whoa that is weird and then something like, you know like like so, like it's like it's the cross landscape it's like the only way they can sometimes they only bond just by Connecting with the weirdness of America, but it's a, it's a really interesting movie. Like, kind of like it does show America, it just shows travel, and it just shows like the bubbles that we can all live in.
1: I was thinking a great double feature. Uh, bear with me here. Would be Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and uh, North by Northwest. Oh, great idea! Yeah, I love that. I like, love that uh, idea. You know, two kind of city men from a certain sort of mm-hmm. class level who are both thrown yeah. into an America yeah, great- that is not what they.
2: Yeah, what they what they what they yeah. thought.
1: I also just have to um, bring down the tone a little by pointing out uh, a list from Andre DeNervo. It's incredible. Like when you click on it, you're like, oh my god, yeah. Uh, the list title is "Posters where actors are covering up their unfortunate boners."
2: <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my god. The that Wolf is Beverly well, Beverly Hills,
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> Beverly Hills <laughs> Cop works, works there too. He's covering up his boner too. Yeah, Lost in Translation.
1: Oh my. oh my god, there's just so many. <laughs>
0: it's a great list. Fifty I First love Dates.
1: That. Adam Sandler's covering up his unfortunate boner with a ukulele. It's ridiculous. I love it. I, I you know, it's like I, you know, I think
2: that the one thing I'm, as we're talking about all these, and you know, and I like I said in the beginning, like, I picked these because these are the movies I watch the most, but these are the movies that make me feel good. Like I can put these on at any given time. And there, are there more artful movies out there? Yes. Are there movies with better uh, performances and and writing potentially? Yeah, yeah. Of, of course, yes. Right. But these are like journeymen movies to me. These are movies that like stand the test of time. They were never up for any kind of awards or I don't think so. You know, who knows, you know, but like they were, ju- they're just these movies that you can, you can put on for people And they think they will still work. I think that there's a reason why they can't be duplicated. Uh, And I think because there is something really special with these movies. And I wouldn't even call them popcorn movies. I think that, or even feel good movies. They're just sort of like, look, I think all these movies are 80s movies. They're very much to me, like a pivotal time for me. And I think that they made my own thing of what I like, what I want to see, what I want to aspire to write and do, which are make these movies that, you know, people that they want to put on. Like, it's not an energy. It's like, Oh, that's on. Let's watch it. And I think for many people that could be the Godfather too. And I think that there's no shame in that, but like there's, uh, but it's like, I like, I like a comfort movie. It's not a guilty <sighs> choice movie or a guilty Leavish. pleasure movie. It's like, it's just like, it's like, Oh yeah. Like if I see any of these movies on, I will watch it because I know exactly where I'm in the middle of. And, and that's, so that, that's maybe the four there. And, and again, I've I've had different things in this for, but I'm I'm pretty happy. Like if I was stuck with these movies, I'd be a, a pretty happy. They're person. in the spaceship. Yeah. Hey,
1: so we. I know you're a busy man. I want to call out your recent review of RRR, in okay. which you write, "Life will forever be divided into two parts: before RRR and after RRR." I think it's we true. all loved RRR, and I love the idea that you sort of raise in that review, which is that it's a gateway film for so many people into Telugu and Indian cinema in general. So do you want to finish off by telling us some of your gateway movies through life, like the first non-English language film that got you into foreign film or the first anime or the first, I don't know, Jane Campion film that got you into Jane Campion films?
2: Yeah, no, it's, you know, I think Unspooled has been a real eye-opening show for me because what I've started why I started doing Unspooled with uh, Amy Nicholson, who's a critic uh, you know, for New York Times and, and NPR and a bunch of other things, was one of the things I've always wanted to do was I wanted to expand my knowledge of film. And I realized when I looked at a list of the 100 greatest films of all time, the AFI list, that I hadn't seen a majority of those films. And I've seen a ton of films, but why didn't I see these? So I went back and I started opening myself to watching these movies and experiencing them. And, and so all of a sudden I feel like, in the last uh, three or four years, I've just been having like a lot of these, these moments of like, oh my gosh, I love this. Oh, I really like this. And, you know, for me, my dad got me into the Marx Brothers when I was early. So like Duck Soup was probably like one of the first black and white films that I had seen, you know, Um and that was like a that was a big deal for a kid to be like, why am I watching a black and white movie, you know? But but I was like, oh, I, but these are you know these are good, you know, like, like like there's like this line of like, why would I watch something that is not in color? I didn't understand that that was even a you know a viable choice. As far as um, oh my gosh, this is really interesting talking about gateway films because I'm like I am
0: trying to think of the movies that made a big impression on me. You had mentioned anime, anime, uh, Gem. I think my first one was probably Spirited Away.
1: <gasps> beautiful! Oh, that wow. was probably yeah, my first, good. my
0: first earliest memory of watching an anime film. I remember being like, "This is pretty dark, my God!" I thought this was a Disney <laughs> it <is>. movie. Yeah,
1: <laughs> The Parents of Pigs. Oh <laughs> yes. my God! Uh, it is
2: dark. <laughs> you know, I, I think that like uh, going up, growing up in New York, like we had a bunch of like revival houses, so I got to go and see certain things you know in in the way that maybe they were intended like i got to see a um a Harold Lloyd movie at oh. the Angelica with like or maybe it was not the Angelica it was like uh, you know one of these theaters downtown with like a live piano accompaniment and that was like amazing it made me like appreciate it uh so much more you know i think um wow. and then the rest kind of all start to blur together cuz i'm like what was the first foreign language film i saw and i I'd like yeah. and that to me like i the fact that it's not like really registering or like i can't really put my finger on it i think what i've realized and, and what i've really come to learn for myself is watching things as an adult and not like just in high school like when i watched taxi driver again within the last uh two years i was like whoa like this is an amazing movie like i think that, like there's so many of these movies that become like memeable movies right they're just mm-hmm. sort of like oh um are you talking to me? That's all we know. Or, you know, again, Fatal Attraction, The, the Rabbit, or, you know, uh, you know, Hal, you know, like the voice of that, you know, that voice of Hal, but it's like, what are these movies doing? And seeing like 2001 in a theater with the right sound blew me away, you know, seeing, uh, you know, seeing Taxi Driver, like just like where I was really focused on it. Like, like really like these movies, I think I've been, appreciating because I think when I was a kid, I was like, I need to see this. So I'm gonna see this. And maybe I don't even I don't even really remember it anymore. So that, you know, so to me I I've been having a lot more Of reintroductions to things that I thought I saw or I thought I understood, and kind of appreciating them brand new, and also seeing things I've never seen before. I never saw Robocop before we did it for Unspooled. Oh my my
1: god, that is exactly what this Four Favorites Letterbox Show has done for me as well. I never saw Robocop before. I had to because it was in Slim's Top Four, and it was compulsory. And
0: we're all the the better for it.
2: (laughs) But yeah, but that like so that to me that those are always the things that are like looking at things with new eyes. Different eyes, you know, like the way I would have looked at, uh, and, and I just because we just talked about it on Spool, like Fatal Attraction when I was a kid versus Fatal Attraction now is totally different. So I think like the revisiting some movies that are classics and trying to figure out are they classics or are they just of the moment? And I think that that's always an interesting thing too, because there are movies of the moment mm-hmm. that I'm always like, oh, that's really good, but do you remember them 10 years later? You know, do and we- that's
1: I, honestly, that's one of the reasons I love Letterboxd is because. Uh, you know disregard all the marketing I can read a review that goes Robocop has stop motion animation in it and I'm like I'm there finally I'm yeah. there <laughs> the title yeah. does nothing for me the fact that it's like a dude 80s movie does nothing for me you got stop motion animation I'm there
2: well and, it, and I think the other thing about it, I love that from Letterboxd is like what's new from Friends like all of a sudden you see like oh my gosh somebody's watching Holiday like what is that or Ooh, someone's watching 13 I've never seen that like it kind of like it. it, it it's not just about like what's out in theaters it's about what's What, you know, like, if you look at my last list here, uh, of like my, like the last movies that I just have watched are, uh, Cheaper by the Dozen 1 and 2, uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, uh, Richard Lester's 1973 Three Musketeers, uh, Blade, Chasing Amy, and The Minions, The Rise of Gru. You know, it's like, that's a very like weird list of things. But I think it's like also like, oh, like, wait, what's that movie? Richard Lester directed a Three Musketeer movie. Let me go get get that. So (laughs) that like, you know, so I'm always like kind of challenged by what other people are watching and seeing. Uh, And uh, yeah, so I'm always looking for good accounts. You gotta give me some more good accounts to continue to follow. There's
1: a guy called Slim. It's just letterbox.com slash slim. (laughs) share was our esteemed guest today. You can follow Paul on Letterboxd and you can book for his live How Did This Get Made shows that are happening across the United States throughout August at www.hdtgm.com. All the links to accounts, lists and reviews we mentioned today are in the episode notes, thanks to our crew Ryan Formo for booking and looking after our Paul, Jack for the facts, Sophie Shin for the episode transcript, and to Monica for the theme music.
0: Remember to tune into Weekend Watchlist, our other weekly podcast. Every Thursday, me, Mitchell, and Mia explore the latest releases in cinemas and on streaming. And you can send mail for all our shows to podcast at letterbox.com or you can leave a nice swell review or rating on all good podcast reviewing and rating platforms. And don't forget the pro and patron upgrade offer McFly. Use that link in our episode notes to upgrade now. The Letterbox Show is a tape deck production. Thank you for
1: listening. Slim, we finally invented something that works. <laughs> <laughs> podcast.